Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the first episode of the Do North Outdoors podcast. Exciting day. We are very thrilled that you have joined us today. I'm Natalie Dillon, joined by Travis Frank. We're the host of the Do North Outdoors television show, taking the podcast world by storm. By storm, indeed. It's a it's a real treat to be sitting here with you today. How are you feeling? I'm excited. This yeah. has been a long time coming. We've been talking about it for a lot of months. It's finally here, and there's a lot to talk about. It's springtime where we are in Minnesota. Lots going on, so it feels good to be here. How about you? You ready? Pretty good. Yep. <clears throat> feeling a little bit tired because last night, I put my kids down to bed after a very busy day. We were out and about playing, and um, we were outside celebrating their grandma's birthday, my mom's birthday. And then, and of course, we played kickball and we're running around in the woods. We shot bow and arrows uh, at the archery range. It was just a great day. We got home and I got the kids down. Um, and then I said, it was just too nice of a night. I hooked up the boat after they went down. It was 27 minutes before sunset and I hooked up my boat. That's time. Ran to, ran to the gas station because the marina that I launch at is already closed, so I couldn't get bait. And I'm like, I just need like 15 minutos. You know, I, I just went and scooped my own bait and I just... Paid from quick and went straight to the access, and I drove out to the spot, and I caught like twenty five fish before dark. It was great. That's impressive. Bass and walleyes. It was aggressive, but it's just, it's just such an awesome time of the year to get out there, and the water is cool, and we can talk about fishing. You know, who knows where our conversation will lead today? But caught a bunch of fish last night. And then this morning, I woke up early and got my daughter. Uh, ready, give, poured, a, poured a bowl of cereal for us. I'm going to go quick pick some morel mushrooms. So I did that, went in the woods and found, I think I picked 16 morels. I'm a little salty because there were some stumps somebody cut and they picked before I got there. So, but I'm happy. You have and been also, a busy man. Yes. So this is my life every day. I, I, you know, people say you can sleep when you're dead. That's kind of how I live my life. I, I push it to the max every single day. And I try to get as much out of it as I can. When people are like, well, how do you fit it in? I, was like, I don't know. I just don't sit still. I don't watch TV. Waste I don't, no time. Yeah, I, I just, I'm out there. There's too much happening all the time that I want to be doing. So I just fit it in. I love it. Yeah. So you're, you're going to hear a lot from, you know, Travis and I over the course of this. Uh, as we said, this has been a long time coming. We both are lovers of the outdoors. So how about Travis, you give a, you know, an introduction of yourself and how you kind of fell in love with the outdoors before we dive in here. I don't know who, who fell in love, if it was me or if it just, if I fell in love with the outdoors or, they, or somehow it just sucked me in. But I was a kid early in life, just fascinated by wild animals and fishing. And I think it, you know, I don't want to use the word addiction, but I think it's fair to say I just was addicted to it. I grew up in a really small town about an hour west of the Twin Cities. And it was, at the time, the, the town was very small and our backyard was a wilderness setting. And it was unbroken land. It was uh, prairie grass, some trees, marshes, some farm fields kind of mixed in. And so I had wildlife in our backyard and I had the freedom to roam and learn from the animals. And I was kind of one with them for a while. I watched a, a mom a doe deer give birth to a fawn and watch that fawn wow. stand up. And they were just, they accepted me, you know, and I, my instinct to hunt started there. I had um, family that took me hunting and fishing, grandpas that took me hunting and fishing. My dad did as well. And I just, I just couldn't get enough of it. I started fishing for everything I possibly could. And then when I was 16 years old, when I could drive, I used my lawn mowing money to buy my first boat. And I, I started guiding people. Uh, muskies hooked me early in life, just like you did. Mm -hmm. We'll tell you a story in a minute, Natalie. But um, 
muskies were just my thing. And I spent a good 10 years obsessed with that fish. And I had guided people from all over the country. And after college, I took Ranchera fishing. Um, and we hit it off. And he was actually looking for help. And so then the whole opportunity for TV came about. And I started working here in 2008, Ranchera Productions. And I does been, that just seem like forever ago it, now? Yeah, it does. I mean, it's if every day flies so fast um, that I just I look back and I think, how is it possibly that long? But uh, yeah, so I produce uh, a handful of our TV shows here, and and fortunately, you and I get to host Due North. It's a lot of fun. Uh, I hunt, I fish. I have a, a wonderful family. My wife Sarah and our now four kids. Uh, we've got a newborn at home, um, but my kids are four. Not quite four months, four years, six years, and eight years, and they love. We got the outdoors three too. fishermen and hunters now at this point. Yep, and uh, number four will most likely because of it's just our lifestyle. We are outside. We are outside people. Um, even this morning, when I when I snuck out quick to go pick those morels, all the kids were so pumped because I texted my wife a picture. I said, "Found them." And uh, came back, and they were all like, where are they, where are they? And they were mad that I didn't bring them with, yeah. so we'll probably go They'll pick them. They'll get to dinner tonight. I'm yeah, sure. yeah, we'll probably go yeah. pick them tonight, because they've been hunting with me now for a couple of years, um, hunting for morels, as well as all the other uh, fish and, and wildlife that we hunt for, too. Yeah. Well, and this is why we're such a good duo, because I've been a nature lover my whole life, but I didn't really get into the quote-unquote outdoors until my adulthood. So I grew up, you know, same type of thing. My family was always outside, but it was like always outside in, you know, the backyard and biking and and grilling and that kind of thing. And my whole family loved nature, but I never really was taken camping. We went fishing a couple times, and I loved it. We went up north and and did some walleye fishing a couple times, and I knew I wanted to do it, but never really knew, like, how to get into it and just kind of wasn't around... uh, people that did it much, at least that I knew of. And it wasn't until for me really like 10 years ago. So I was in my early twenties. I was like, this is it. I'm learning outdoor skills. I'm not going to waste any other time. And I uh, booked a month long camping and sea kayaking trip in Alaska. So I figured that would be a good introduction into the outdoor world. Um, But I loved it. And I I knew really when I came back from that trip that not only was I kind of right all along that I wanted to get into the outdoors, but it was also really empowering to me. And I was like, no, I I can do this. So really from there, I started musky fishing the next year. Now, why muskies? I don't know. It's just kind of what happened. Honestly, so I was living in Illinois at the time, believe it or not, from Minnesota. But in Illinois is when I met some people that were musky fishermen. And I think probably similar to why I jumped into a month in Alaska when I decided I wanted to start camping. I was like, what, what's the coolest, hardest thing to do? I'm going to go do that. So yep. I got taken out musky fishing, and it was really when I saw my first follow, which was on the first day. And then it took me quite a while to catch my first musky. But when I saw that fish behind it you know, my little, you. it like I from that single follow, seeing that face, I was shaking for a solid hour, and I was like, this, this is it for me. So mm-hmm. I was pretty much exclusively musky fishing for about five years. And so about five years ago now is when I started dabbling in, in other things, you know, bass, saltwater species. So we've got plenty to talk oh, about. And, and so, so for much. me, I've been really learning in my adult life. So I kind of know what it's like to, to step into the world being a little intimidated, having a lot of questions, uh, but to kind of slowly learn and, and practice. So And I've had fun kind of sharing my adventures and, and what I've learned over the last uh you know, five years or so on the internet and uh, yeah, I was gonna say the you have a here. massive following. People love massive. they love well, to if you follow say what it. you do. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm not asking you, I'm telling you. Yeah, you Thanks, do. Travis. And people they love your perspective. You have a great 
perspective of or appreciation for nature, for the outdoor world, um, but also the lifestyle that you live too. It's just you, you just uh, <clears throat> really like you let people see the healthy choices that you're making and the lifestyle that, to, yeah. that you live there too. And I think, I think um, there's people that are inspired by that. And then they in turn want to go out and try to experience some of those things. And for me, you know, the, all the guiding, I mean, 20 some years of guiding now for me, you know, the probably in the thousands of people that I've shared a boat with and, and, been able to teach how to fish. Like, I just love teaching and sharing the knowledge. I don't know why. And I just I, love learning. Yeah. So we're the perfect team. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's so fun. And one thing that's interesting to, that I started about close to 15 years ago on my, on my fishing trips, I always tell people, if you have children 12 and under, they can come with for free. Um, so I don't charge for kids to come fishing. My goal always has starts. been to give them a reason to bring their kids with because then I can really invest when they bring them. And I've seen just the difference that that's made over now the, the lifetime that I've been guiding, which again, I'm, I'm young, I'm 38 years old, but um, you know, over, over 20 years of taking people out fishing. Now some of those kids are fishing guides wow. that I've taken and they've reached out to me and said, you know, thank you so much for what you, what you, uh, put into my life or invested there I I took it and ran and I just love it so I just like to teach I like to share what I've learned I don't I don't call myself an expert but I do like to talk about the things that I've learned from my own personal experiences I'm very in my mind it's very detail driven about why fish do what they do why things happen outside. you get into the biology of it too yes i i don't want to just accept that something happened i want to know why because then i can repeat my successes and avoid my failures and everywhere that we go all over the country all the tv shows we film you know the hunting and i'm all over the country in different places i've never been before and i have to put it together really quickly mm -hmm. because we have a short amount of time and I have to come back with a full episode. So I'm watching for details. I'm paying attention to details and I always ask why. And, and I hope that over the course of this show and us uh, working together that we can take our knowledge and what we're, what we're finding in real time, you know, it's very seasonal and make sense of it that will help other people. Absolutely. And it's a good segue. If you guys can't tell already listening at home, Travis and I are pretty pumped about the outdoors and we're excited to to talk about it with you all. And we're going to really get into everything on this podcast. We're going to talk hunting, fishing, mm -hmm. camping, uh, family fun in the outdoors, some cooking, and uh, I'll give it away, but some foraging today too. So we're going to get into all the topics. Hopefully it'll be uh, moderately entertaining for those listening at home, informative, yeah. hopefully inspire people to get outdoors too. Yeah. So we've got a lot to talk about, but I think we, I kind of want to give away the main topic of today's episode because it is so timely. Ah, it's one of the things we're going to try to do with this podcast is to keep it timely and it's foraging season. Mm -hmm. It's morel mushroom season, at least where we are here in Minnesota. Yep. Travis, you've been out. We're in central Minnesota. Yeah. I just said this morning, I snuck out for the first hunt of the year. I normally would have been out a few other times, but I've just had a busy production schedule the last few days. Uh, but yeah, central Minnesota right now, morel mushrooms. If you say the word morel mushroom, there's always a reaction in a room. If there's a bunch of people in the room, you say the words morel, you're going to, if you look around, you just see 
people that are just like they weren't paying attention to you before, but now they're eavesdropping. Exactly. You know, everybody Listening wants to know about it because it is such a elusive, delicious, um, mythical to some people fungus that grows in the woods and it's so much fun to hunt and they really i mean they do grow all over the country and i think all over the world but it seems like in this kind of the great lakes region the upper midwest we get especially crazy about them this time of year and i've kind of long wondered what it is about morels that gets people so excited myself included i mean obviously i'm a forager yeah i'm an aspiring forager obviously they're they're delicious and i think part of it is too that it is just so elusive. And there's really only a, a couple weeks of the year, depending mm-hmm. on where you are, yep. that, that you can find them. And I think that kind of adds to the buzz. But definitely, everybody's talking about them this this time of year. Do you think, is it more flavor or is it more just that it's uh It's both It's yeah. both things. It's the thrill of the hunt. And then afterwards, it's the sweet reward of eating them. So um, I've done multiple stories about morels. I've talked to scientists that study them, and I've... So Travis has <laughs> notes pulled up that are uh, some I went biological to, okay. stats, so I, we don't need to get into them now, but I just want to out, yes. out, out you to people listening at home that you're really in, into this. So. I get really into it, like I get into everything I, I do, but I when you said, let's talk about morales, I was like, yes, let's, because there's so many myths out there. There's so much misinformation, so much unknown about this thing, and I have... Um, Hunted them for many years, and like everything I do, I pay attention to all the details and wonder why. So I've had some years where I've found, I I don't know how many, if I would say thousands, but wow. I mean, lots. I mean, we're talking, I've had some years, we were talking before we started <laughs> this and we should have just recorded, but um, I would say like over 60 or 70 pounds of mushrooms one year. And then I just got like, I can't go anymore. I'm done hunting. Um, but it's, it's something that I just have been in love with for a while. And then I started interviewing these, uh, you know, I would call experts and the information that they found just blows my mind. So then when I hear all these other conversations and there, and people start saying this or that, and I'm like, no, that's not true. That's not true. You, you can't. You can't back that up with any science of any well, kind or so, facts. So let's talk about it. So for yeah. people that maybe aren't, you know, familiar with morel mushrooms, mm-hmm. kind of high-level overview, they're going to be one of the first mushrooms, probably the first, that that are going to spring forth this time of year. And they've yeah. got kind of a funky appearance. Yeah, they, um, they look like a sponge. Yeah, it's a good way to put it. So yep. they've got, a you know, a lot of, I guess we'd call them pits or holes in them, um, tend to grow in clusters. Yep. What, else, what are some other, like, high-level things that people need Should we to get know. high level right off the yeah, bat? Yeah, I think so. Okay. So, um, morale mushrooms. Many different species. There are different species. Yep. They grow all over the world, every continent except for Antarctica. Okay. Um, so this is something that'll blow your mind. This is I'm straight ready. from John Lamprecht, the president of the Minnesota Mycological Society. When I interviewed him, I have all of my logs from years of TV production, right? So I went back and I pulled this one up because I thought we would talk about it. Here's what he said. When people are talking mushrooms, you can blow them away with this statistic, saying that a mushroom, the moral mushroom, is the largest organism in terms of area on the face of the earth. Mm, I've got questions. That's because the mycelium is growing underground and the biomass can be enormous. It's only the fruit body that people see. And is it only, you know, this time of year? Or is so, that... yes. So now I'll, I'll take this a step further. 
okay? So um, a morale mushroom that we hunt for, and this is in Europe, this is in North America, this is all over the world. The morale mushroom that we hunt for is just a fruit, like he said, okay? The mycelium is the organism that is growing underground where we cannot see. And it is living on the root system of trees. So that's why, depending on where you hunt for morels, people will tell you, you know, in central Minnesota, in Wisconsin, Iowa, Dakotas, a lot of people will tell you, look for dying or dead elm trees, okay? So the reason you want to look for a tree that's dying in our area is because the mycelium, this huge um, uh, organism that's living underground, when the tree is dying, that organism says, we need to get out of here. So they pop out of the ground, and that's when they escape. When the fruit pops out of the ground, there's upwards of a half a million spores that leave that fruit when they pop out of the ground. And, and that's those what you spores, can see. Like if you see morel in the wind or if you, you wouldn't blow be able on to see it, it. it's too microscopic okay. for okay. us to see. But this is all information. If you wanted to read through his, his full interview here, but essentially it's they float in the air and they attach to another living organism. So when you see a dead elm or a dying elm, that is the fruit escaping off of the tree's root system. They then go and attach to another living tree, and the cycle continues. You might get, if it's a big tree, once the bark is all gone, it, the, all the organism has already escaped. It's gone. So if you get a big tree, if you find a tree that has morels on it this year, there's a, if, it, if that tree still has a lot of its bark on it, there's a good chance you can go back the next year, depending on the size. I've, I've revisited trees up to like three or four years and found them. The first year is the best. The second year, that's why people say, I had a good spot, but it dried up. Well, what happened was they've already left that tree's root system. If it's a really big root system, you might find them 20, 30, 40 feet away from that, that base of that tree. If it's a smaller tree, you know, you're only going to find them typically within a five to 10 foot circle. Uh, if you're on a hillside, you know, you factor in which way the roots are growing. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and so it, it's a, it's an organism that grows at a certain time of the year when the, when the ground temperature reaches a certain degree, that's what triggers them to grow. It's like 50 to 60 degree it's range. It's roughly 52 degrees. That's kind okay. of like the magic temperature. And so there's other things in this world around us that also sprouts or blossoms at the same time. So in central Minnesota, where we live, if you watch the lilacs, mm -hmm. the day the lilacs bloom in that area, the ground temperature has reached the magic temperature for morels to pop. And that was about, what, four days ago for us here? For us, it was, yeah. yeah. It's Thursday right now, and I saw the first lilacs bloom on Monday. Yep. And a couple of my buddies, and I'm, I have several hunters that we all stay in touch, and they're in different areas, but a couple hunters sent me pictures Monday of their first morels, and they said they're tiny, they just sprouted, and, and I looked out at the lilacs, and I saw the first lilacs bloom, and I'm like, it is 
Clockwork, Natalie, yeah. every year. Yeah. So when people are like, oh, I went out looking for morels. You're like, you said, mm-hmm. I went last week. Or mm-hmm. my brother's You're been like, looking. You're like, no, nope, it's not going to be there. I was like, it's, not, it's too early. It's too yeah. early. And those are telltale signs. It's not based on the time of the year. Yeah. Typically, in our region, in the Midwest here, in Minnesota, typically, it's the first week to 10 days in May when they pop. I have found them April 19th. I always keep track of information, and you can go back and look at... Uh, a lot of that stuff. And I look at the, the timestamp of my photos because I always take a photo and then I can look back at previous yes, years. And exactly. yeah, I think it was yeah May 8th last year is when I found them for the yep. first time. So yeah, typically right around Mother's Day is mm-hmm. is just like the heart of it. And so we're at the very start of it here. If it's cool outside, the season can last up to four to six weeks. If it's hot, um, it can be a short season too. Uh, morels are made of 70 to 85% water. So the more rain and moisture we have, the more morels you're going to have. If it's a dry season, last year was really dry. We had the drought. It was not a great hunting season. But there's always a but when you're hunting morels because even though you can know all this information about them, they'll still surprise you. You know, in our area, typically it's elm trees. Mm-hmm. But you can find them under, I found them under apple trees. I found them under a lot of other trees. And again, it's always when it's disturbed. Somebody will say, oh, I found them in my yard last mm-hmm. year. And then I would say, oh, really? I bet you had a, a tree that died you had to cut down. And they're like, actually, yeah, how'd you know? <laughs> and I'm like, well, because that's just how it happens. Or they'll be in the Burn mulch. areas. Burn mm-hmm. areas. So if a tree is disturbed, that's when it, the, the organism triggers, I got to go somewhere else. Then it could be a tree that's uh, been cut down. You know, if somebody's logged an area, the stumps are still there. So the roots are still there. They haven't dug those out. So you can go in to a logged area. It's, it's a disturbance. It's a fire, a logging, a tree dies. Dutch elm disease was huge for morale mushrooms because you got all these elm trees. So it's fascinating to understand why, but if you really study it, it's all about survival for it. It's all about survival. But what blows me away is that it's the largest organism in terms of area on the face of the earth. We just can't see it. Is it, all right. I'm gonna cut in. Are you sure morels specifically are? Because I thought there was literally a, a, a plant named Humongous fungus that that's a what's it called? See, I, I just want to fact check, but it mm-hmm. was a different mushroom. It's an Amarelia. Estoye, and I thought that was the world's largest. Was that organism. the largest? It's a single yeah. organism, yeah. and no, this is this is the underground network of it. Yeah. of it in Oregon, it's it's like an underground network that's like I don't know. I'm looking huge. at his, at but his I was just notes. wondering if it was mushrooms in specific are the world's largest organism because there's so many kinds of morels. I think he says mushrooms right. are the largest okay. organism. Okay, mushrooms. In terms. Are, okay, yes. I was just okay. wondering. I didn't want didn't yeah, want to confuse it with morels. morels. I had the like same that. question. So, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then yeah. I have one Any, more question. Fair to call me out on anything that <laughs> I throw out there, but I'm trying to be as factually accurate as I can uh, with the information, and this is what. What he says, you know, and he studies it. This is his job. And I'm like, holy cow, this is fascinating stuff. Yeah, no, yeah. no, I totally believe that. I just wanted to clear the air if it was Morel specifically. Keep us honest, where, Brandon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, then, so then, yeah, that's Brandon, our, our, our show producer Welcome here. Welcome to the show. Ex- extraordinaire. <laughs> Everything that we uh, hear and put out there is because Brandon has captured it and, uh, you know, does works his magic to make sure that it's – we sound good, Natalie. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I've been fortunate to work with Brandon now for like two years. 
Uh, yeah, it's been about two years now. Yeah, it's Jeez, been fun. A little it's, over even. Yeah, you rock. And you've done, you've recorded somewhere in the neighborhood of like how many thousands of podcasts? I've done twenty three over twenty three hundred podcasts, something like that. That's it. Wow. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah. You're a machine. <laughs> in about six machine. years. So if we mess anything up, you've got us covered. Yeah. You're you're pro. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Easy. We're in good hands. You're do, you're He's pro. A pro. You guys are doing great right now, though. <laughs> so there's Brandon, nothing to worry about. Can you say about. that again louder yeah, if yeah, anyone you, missed it? Fantastic. Editing's gonna be minimal. All I have to do is just put it out on the internet. Easy yep. as Thank that. You. Yep. Love it. So Natalie, I've got some morale questions. Yes, okay, yes. So let's I've get... been I've been forging them for them for a number of years. I think I found my first ones six years ago. I've had some seasons that I got them, some seasons that I haven't. But I feel like I've been researching a lot and, and mm-hmm. sharing. And something that that I've learned that I feel like you might fact check me on, but I've been doing it and I feel like it's been successful. Is so when you actually go to harvest the mushroom, we've talked a little bit about you know where and when you find them. When you go to to harvest them. Some people disagree about some things that you should or should not do. Onion sack. Now, I've heard, first <laughs> yeah. of all, that when you actually harvest it, you want to slice it at the bottom and leave kind of the base, you know, quote unquote, it's not technically a root, but, you know, the base, the stump in place because that will help propagate in the future. And I've also learned that you want to, and I, I do this, you shake them out, you blow on them, you try to release those spores into the air and let it, you know, fall into the ground so that they come back next year. I've heard a professional forager say that that's, that's true. Is that something that, am I wasting my time or is that uh, A effective? lot of the scientists will tell you that you're wasting your time. You're probably not hurting anything other than the mushroom itself by carrying it around in a sack because you're going. So they do a basket with holes in it. So they yeah. say, they'll tell you, most, most scientists will tell you that, yeah, you can do that if you, if you think that it's going to help. But the reality is when they pop, they shoot out their spores. Most of the spores are already left that, that fruit body by the time you found it. Sure, you can shake it, you can do whatever you want, you can carry it around in the woods and hope like heck that they attach, but people have failed for, I don't know how many years they've been doing it, they've failed to grow them. I mean, that's why there's there aren't morel farms out there, because they just don't grow that way. Um, so, yeah, the onion bag thing, most people, they, they think they're spreading the spores around, <laughs> they're really just crushing their mushrooms, uh, because of the way that the bag kind of keeps them, and they're not really doing what they think they are. But that's just one of those myths where, you know. Maybe a little hocus pocus. Yes, but yeah, If exactly. it's not doing any harm, just keep shaking your mushrooms yep, out. And, yep, and exactly. I think if you would go back and look at that little stump, it's going to eventually dry up. And, and you would have to put a little flag in the ground and keep it there next year and see if it comes up in the exact same spot. But I've not done that to, to say that really that stump did anything. Yeah, you can cut them off at the base. You can pinch them. Whatever you want to do, you can shake them out. But ultimately... It's it's the organism living underground that we can't see that's going to do what it's going to do. It's fascinating. It is. And, and something yeah. else to, to keep in mind, too, we were chatting about it a little bit before uh, we started recording the podcast, is when you see a morel mushroom pop up, typically it's going to pop up and grow to, like, full size within a couple days. It grows days, quick. And yeah. it's only going to last uh, maybe a week or two, and then it can start drying up. It can start getting moldy. Yeah, Another I creature, s- human or animal, might come along and get it. So if you do see those morels... Probably a good idea to yep. harvest them. Yep. I've had friends that will water them. <laughs> we were talking about this two days ago <laughs> with a buddy. And he goes, I found them on my own property. So I knew nobody was going to touch them. And they were little ones. He goes, I had water bottles with. I watered them. I wanted them to grow. <laughs> I wanted to see what happened. And ultimately, typically when you find them, they are what they're going to be. They may grow a little bit more. But yeah, I think they grow really quickly. And they kind of... Depending on the, the moisture that we have and the heat, 
they, you know, it seems like later in the season you find some huge ones. Mm-hmm. I found a couple that I've weighed before. The the heaviest morel I've ever weighed that I found was a 15 ouncer. So, so like how many? How, how big? How like tall was si- it? It was like inches. the size of my head, basically, because it's hollow. You know, I mean, it was humongous. Yeah. Um, it was not great to eat. It was kind of mm-hmm. rubbery. It just, I don't know why. It was like eating a steak. Yeah. That's you know, like, that's one thing I've heard is the smaller ones are actually better tasting anyways than the long and short of it. So mm-hmm. why not yeah. pick the small ones? I like the nice like medium sized ones. And I'll take, you yeah. know, whatever whatever nature provides. But yeah, well, kind of medium. You get the happy medium of like little little texture, not too much, good mm-hmm. flavor. And that's something else I've always eaten. We, I mean, if we get into cooking. Lots, we can, because okay. I, I think it's, if we're going to go into detail about... We should we should we help people lot. find them. Mm-hmm. We should help people find them today, but also what happens when you find them yeah. because they're arguably the the most delicious of all mushrooms, would you say, in yeah. the world? Yeah. I think so. There's such a delicacy. That's mm. why if you order them at a restaurant, you order I mean, I found so many one year that I put a Craigslist ad out there cuz I'd given them all to as many people that I know that uh, Travis is bragging. Come on. I <laughs> sorry. But yeah, the demand was just unbelievable, and they're willing to pay. I don't know, Brandon. What what's the going rate for mushrooms? Right I now? think going rates of upwards of eighty bucks per pound, something like that. And I sold them yeah. f- like fifteen years ago for twenty bucks a pound, and there were people that were just knocking down the door saying, "I'll." One guy said, "I'll buy a hundred pounds." He was a buyer down in Iowa. And I had gotten into poison ivy, and it's a, it was a bad deal. And I was like, "This has ruined it for me. It just ruined it. I'm not I'm not hunting anymore." Um, so that's that's my own story. But yeah, and with something with with morels, yeah. some people, I mean, mushrooms can people can be kind of hot and cold on them. People seem to either love them or hate them. And I will say with morels, they've got a lot more flavor than just kind of your average, you know, white mushroom that you might buy in a grocery store. But it's also not too different of a flavor. It, it's not like the most potent flavor mushroom. So I think even if somebody's a little bit hesitant about mushrooms, not sure if it's going to be their jam or not, yeah. I think it, it's a mushroom that, you know, can be kind of a gateway into that world. For yeah. me, I think the texture is the best part. Why did you go the first time? Uh, just a, probably an excuse to get into the outdoors. Did you I hear think about it from I somebody? I heard about them. Yeah, I, I had ended up kind of accidentally at a morale mushroom festival in Illinois. Seriously, and they yeah, have festivals? It was, like, it was like a little thing, but I was in, I forget, some small town in Illinois for a weekend, and I heard it was going on, and I went, and I was like, oh, great, I've heard about these. I'm going to buy some morale mushrooms. Of course, I get there, and they're like, no, we're not actually selling the mushrooms, but we've got all sorts of, you know, carvings and, and yeah. things like that. So that I think it was that year or the next year that I went out and looked for them for the first time. Um, but I will, you know, while we're talking about eating them, the first time that I found them, I was with a group of people and they were these, you know, big morale foragers and they wanted to prepare them for me in the way that they, you know, loved them. And what they did, I hope they don't listen to this podcast. They were delicious, but what they did, it's very popular. They breaded and fried them and it was delicious. It mm-hmm. was super yummy, but I felt like I kind of missed out on actually tasting Knowing what a morel you know mushroom. Now. Exactly. Yeah. So for me, I always would say, you know, if you've never tried them before, just cook them in butter and a little salt and just got a yeah. high five. High five that. Um, was, and, you know, maybe yes. a piece of crusty bread and, and that's it. You don't really need to do much with them. And trust me, I've done a lot with them and you can, you know, you can spice it up, but just cooked in butter. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I have so many people that I know would agree with you. I agree with you on that. I've had some people that dip them in breading and mm-hmm. season them. And I'm like, no, the season is built in. Yeah. That's the beauty of it. You can do, I like butter. I, it's not the healthiest option, but 
Who cares? I disagree. <laughs> butter is good for you. Yeah. You heard it from me. There you go. Yes. Mm-hmm. You got facts to back that up. Uh, yeah, I can I can provide some next episode. Okay, yeah, I like it. Yeah. I like it. Brandon, you look like you want to get you're no, you're I, in the chef world as well. Yeah, no, yeah, something like that. No, um, working working with morels, I agree 100. percent Just some salt and some butter is the best way to do it. Otherwise, you really are covering. I've seen people do stuff them with cheeses and stuff, which mm-hmm. I know they taste great that way too. But really, the simplest form. I didn't even like mushrooms in general up until mm-hmm. I started eating morels. Like honestly, can't couldn't stand them. Now it's kind of broken me into the world where, you know, you, you try chicken of the woods and you try all mm-hmm. these other things. You're like, all right, maybe there is a little bit more out there. But simple is easily the best, best way to go. And But you have to make sure they're cooked thoroughly. Yes. Mm-hmm. You cannot leave a bit raw, cannot undercook them in the slightest. Make sure they're cooked thoroughly. It's really easy to tell. Um, but yeah, they and, and the thing about the water too, they lose a bunch of water in the process, so you'll really see how full of they are. You, yeah, you they'll, can they'll see shrink it come like in half, if not yeah. more. So yeah. totally, totally. Yeah. yeah, and Brandon brings up a good point. You know, we were talking about foraging. There's of course a lot of safety protocol you want to know ahead of time. Of course, when you're foraging, it's always better to be safe than sorry. You got to know what you're eating. And with morels, it's probably a good kind of gateway into the foraging world because it's on the easier side of identifying. You mm-hmm. can tell visually they're a, a unique looking mushroom, but there are false morels. If you slice them open, telltale sign is if there's uh, if they're hollow, it's likely a morel. But that's the type of thing that you really want to know. Uh, you know, go with an expert if you can for the first time or, yep. or know ahead of time. We're not going to have time to dive into all of that today. But when in doubt, also, throw it out. Yes. Don't risk yeah. it. Yep. But the morale, you can do a quick Google search and you'll you'll quickly understand um, what they look like. It does look like a sponge on top of a white um, uh, uh, trunk. It's like a, <laughs> Trump. It's like a brain. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. exactly. Yeah. And when you see one, stop. Don't yes. move. Yeah, and don't look move your around feet. And then <laughs> just see step. the rest of them come to life. It's almost like they pop out of the ground right in front of your mm-hmm. eyes when you see the first one. Yeah, so let's help somebody find them. Um, should we? Yeah. Okay. So let's say you're in you're in the Midwest. You're right now. Uh, it's it's uh, May nineteenth. I anticipate, based on what we have, you know, studied on our own, Adley, that I would guess that the forecast is cool coming up. I guess we have a good season here until the end of May. Mm-hmm. That's what my gut says. Now, if we get a lot of heat, it might change, but. Um, I think it's looking pretty good. It's looking cool. So one week to two weeks from now. So right now they just, they just started. I searched on South facing slopes to start because again, it all goes back to ground temperature. The the slopes in the forest that are facing the North are going to be cooler soil. So you've got a whole season growing right now on the South slopes. And once that's done, head to the North side and your season continues. That's one way to extend it. There are different Kinds, even in our area, there's grays, there's yellows. Grays tend to come first. Yellows will come second. They're larger um, and they're more tan, more cream colored. The grays, you can research it. Further north you go, I have buddies that found yesterday, I showed you a picture, 306 (laughs) black morels. um, And those are in different kind of uh, trees entirely. Um, so there's information to be had about that as well. But typically what I do when, when I when I go walking for them, I don't stare at the ground and look for this tiny little thing in this massive mm-hmm. forest. It's like a needle, literally like looking for a needle in a haystack. You could find one on accident. But what I do is I'm walking, looking up. I'm looking for trees that don't have any leaves on them. And when you understand what an elm tree looks like in our region, because again, I found them on other trees, but overwhelming amount of time I'm looking for elm trees. So when I find a tree 
that does not have leaves, still has bark, that's the one I want. And I go right to the base of it, and I stop, and I just look completely around it, and then I walk a circle around it, and a bigger circle, mm-hmm. and a bigger circle, and sometimes they're there, sometimes they're not, um, and then I keep going. But I don't, I don't just hunt by staring at the ground everywhere that I'm going. I'm, I'm hunting with a purpose. I could miss some, that's fine, but I will typically come home with a bag full of mushrooms based on that approach. Uh, you That's have a lesson to... I learned the hard way. I remember the first year I was out looking directly. I was like, oh, they're at the you know base of dead and dying trees. So I was looking directly at the base of dead and dying trees. And it was actually some people that I was with that found them for the first time. And I was like, wait a minute. This is eight feet away from the tree. I don't I don't understand. And they explained, it's not right there. You got to you gotta look you know, a, a ways, a distance out. The larger the tree, the larger the root system, the further away that they can grow. Think about the slope, which way is your... Uh, where your roots growing, that that kind of stuff. Uh, looking for sunlight to penetrate. Again, it's the season of growth in the forest. You'll see other things growing as well. Um, and don't be afraid to look under other trees that aren't specifically elms, because again, at some of my biggest hauls, I found an apple tree one time that I think I picked like 180 morels off of that tree underneath it in just one picking. <laughs> you know, like uh, it is possible, but um, it's a tree that's dying. Once the mm-hmm. bark is gone, it's dead. Good luck. I mean, you can disagree with what what I mentioned earlier, but I guess I'm just going off factual information. I typically, make note of that tree. I think you'll be good again next year. The bigger the tree, the you know I might have three years of finding morels under it, but typically one or two years of really good picking, and then after that, it's a crapshoot. Um, and then it's important though to note where you're hunting. Obviously, if you're a hunter, like any other, if you're a duck hunter, deer hunter, pheasant hunter, whatever, you can't trespass. Mm-hmm. You know, so there are Good places point. you can and cannot go. Um, ask permission for private property. Um, and then on public properties, there's some that you can harvest, you can forage on. Uh, there's some that you cannot. Minnesota state lands, have at it. But you can't go into, let's say, Three Rivers Park and pick morels and take them home. You're not supposed to leave the trail. You're not supposed to take anything out with you. So know where you're hunting. Um, and along those lines, just for consumption, yeah. um, you know, looking at it from that direction too. You know, be mindful if you're if you're looking right at the side of a road where maybe they're you know salting or using chemicals or things like that. You may or may not want to pick up. You you look questionable. Are you, are you? Oh no, I'm just listening. Okay, yeah. 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 I mean, to me, I like to be you know off a path. If again, if you have. If you're able if to you, go there, yeah, absolutely. Um, especially if you're going to eat them year after year in the same spot. So. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Definitely. So okay, we found so, our mushrooms. Yep. Are there any other tips you want to share about where to look? Where um, I think I don't know enough about the northern areas yeah. on how to direct people. That's a whole nother science in itself. It, again, you have to establish for your region wh- what organism they're. A, attached to, mm-hmm. what tree they prefer to grow on. And then once you pay attention to why you found them in a spot, you can replicate that again and again mm-hmm. for your area. I haven't mastered. I go up to the Boundary Waters um, most years with a group of buddies, and it tends to be kind of at the late end of morale season, but I've gone on hikes before looking, and I haven't figured it out up there yet. Okay, I figured it out pretty Pretty consistent. I mean, if, if we go today, I'm going to show you morels. Mm-hmm. I'm I haven't gone to some places, but I I am confident. very confident 
that when I do get there, if somebody hasn't picked them before me, I will mm -hmm. find them. Yeah. Um, so it's a lot of fun. And it's Good one of those for things. kids, too. We haven't yes. mentioned that. But like, honestly, I, I don't know, but I've got nieces and nephews and stuff. I really think there's something to the low vantage point. When you're closer to the ground, they got good eyesight. They got good eyesight. Yep. It doesn't take any special skill or equipment. So yep. definitely a good activity to, you know, bring the family along, bring kids. It's yeah. a scavenger hunt. It, it is. is. It's, it's it like is. for kids and adults, it's a scavenger hunt. If you can show somebody a picture of a Maral that's never seen one before, just show them to it right before they go out and be like, look for this. They'll they'll come out probably finding one if you put them in the right area. Good point, too. Keying mm -hmm. in your eyes is yes. actually very important. So That's actually, Yeah, looking at pictures of morels before you go out. Yep. I yep. think it's helpful. I always say that I always confuse pine cones for morels. Not when I'm close <laughs> up, like right. when I'm 20 feet away. But yeah, if you actually look at pictures, that's like a thing. I forget there's a word for it, but if you like get used to looking for the same thing, like yep. you it actually comes, start yeah. seeing them more. That's literally what I do is I look at yeah. a couple on my cell phone before I go out because it just gets your eyes a little bit ready for to look for that squiggly line. Yeah. That's kind of what up. you're looking for too. Yeah. So yeah. That's great. the last thing I would add to it, um, I ran around in the woods my whole life as a kid, no shoes, flip-flops, whatever, uh, shorts. Never had an issue with poison ivy. It didn't affect me. In my 20s, I mentioned before that I got into the, that one season where I got poison ivy. It changed the joy of it for me. Poison ivy, I didn't uh, I didn't realize that I, I could, you know, it was on my arm. Then I slept that night, and all of a sudden it's on my chest. Like, oh, my gosh, it's terrible. This is awful. Now when I go in the woods, I wear pants, long sleeves, and gloves. And, and we're I'm in tick season. Very, so. Be very mindful of wood ticks, deer ticks. Uh, be mindful of the, um, you know, what you get yourself into mm -hmm. because the fun can end really quickly if you're not being careful out there. So those are just things that I recommend is, you know, just go into it with a breathable shirt that's long sleeve. I don't want to expose my skin yeah. to poison. Pants especially, though, because even the, the, the yeah. nettles. That'll get your yeah, legs. That'll just scrape nettle. across your legs. Totally. That's enough to ruin everything for you right off the bat because they're always at the edge of the forest too. Mm -hmm. So as you're walking in, just your legs get hit. I'm out. It, it just stings yeah. the entire time. So good point. Yeah. Did we, did okay, we, we help anybody? And do we I think, do you think so. we helped anybody find morels this year? I think so. I hope so. I, mean, we've got, I hope so. Yeah. yeah. But biology I, on our side. Biology. Yeah. yeah science. Yeah. yeah. I, I learned something about about finding them. So, so I you, hope somebody. You think that it was everyone just not? Yeah. I think. Yeah. You're. You're. You're nodding, but do you really believe this guy? I believe so. And I think, I mean, it's similar to, you know, fishing and I'm sure hunting and other things. You can study about it all you want. You can read about it. You can listen. That's the mm -hmm. starting point. And then you just got to get out there and, and try for yourselves. And yep. it's, again, it's one of those things that it's a, it's a very easy thing to go try. So I yep. hope so. If you're listening at home, you got to let us know. We'll give you all our contact information at the end. But And Travis this, will give you his spots. Yes. With I'm not afraid to give you my thoughts. And if I'm wrong, I apologize. Um, but these are these are actually John's thoughts. He did <laughs> a good job. From an interview I did years ago he did with him. did a good him. job. Yeah. So I yeah. do want to talk a little bit more about cooking while we have the time. So, and, you know, cleaning kind of one, two. It's a mushroom that you definitely want to do more than just a sponge off. They, you know, they collect a lot of dirt and bugs and stuff. So I always just soak them in salt water for a while. Maybe do a couple of rinses. Six, eight minutes. That's rinse it? it and then do it again. Yep. And then I always kind of inspect them, make sure there's it's no amazing bugs how many little bugs hide yeah. in those little those little. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I would also say for keeping them for long periods of time, what I like to do after drying them off is I take a paper towel 
and I wet down the paper towel. Mm-hmm. And then if I put them in a, in a Ziploc bag, I put a wet paper towel in there, and it's almost like that moisture just lets them sit in that cool temperature. But the moisture in there is a big Do you seal deal. the so bag or do you leave it yeah, open? Okay. Yeah, I seal the bag, but I put a paper towel laying flat underneath them so there's moisture in the bag. And then it's, you know, like you can go six, eight, ten days and open them up and they're just the same as they were. If you, you don't do that. you had a molding problem? No, I haven't. Okay. And maybe I'm doing this wrong. I don't know. But I've not. And I wash them off again before I go to eat them. But I've had them dry out before if there's no moisture in the container. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll put a closed... Um, bowl that they're in but yeah. i'll leave a, a wet paper towel in there just so that there's a, that moisture oh i'm actually with her question i've always heard you're not supposed to seal them up because they need to breathe because that's what they do as an organism could that's, be that's hence the bit so yeah. that's that's at least what i've heard and as far as like keeping them for a few days you can put them in paper towels in your fridge in a bowl uncovered they should last for a few days that way yeah. otherwise you're supposed to get to kind of freezing them or taking care of them drying them right away whichever you choose to do fortunately yeah. most of the time my wife eats them or i yeah. eat them right away so we they don't last too long in my refrigerator uh, but yeah i i think there's probably more information that i don't know about keeping them because they don't last well, i think if long. they if they're yeah. not dry and they're not moldy they're they're good so you know you're not you know you're doing i've it never right, seen but. mold grow on them before have you i haven't so i'm the same i've always eaten them fresh and that's a whole yeah. nother thing I know people get really into drying them, and I've heard yep. that that really like adds to the flavor too. Dry them, rehydrate them, and you get even more flavor. But I've always eaten them within a day or two, so I just stick them in a bowl with a wet paper towel over the top. I've stuck them in the refrigerator. I don't know if that's right or not, yeah, but they've I been would. fine. Yeah, yep. and then I always wash them, clean them right before I eat them because I think they do really absorb some water. And I don't know. Yeah, my dad he he dries them, he dehydrates them, okay. and then we'll go over for steak. You know, in the mm. fall, and he's got morels on him. I'm like, oh gosh, I wish I had some more morels. So he gets into it as well. And I don't think it's as good as fresh. Nothing, yeah. nothing on planet Earth is as good as. And it's fresh. so gratifying. It's like yes. you're just in the woods. This thing was just growing. You yeah. know, yep. It's your reward. So let's do. We've got just a little time left. Let's do yeah. one or two favorite morel mushroom recipes. We talked about cooking them in butter. That's but it. Is there that's, any, mine. that's it. Okay. That's it. Yes. Well, then I get on to share too. On top of steak, on top of walleye. Uh, I've got right now in my refrigerator. I've butter got butter on top of meat. Yes, I've got I've got walleye, freshly caught walleye, and morel mushrooms. I cannot wait to make that meal. Otherwise, I put them on top of steak, whether that be venison steak or beef steak. I just it doesn't matter what you put them on, but those are the two two meals. Oh, and fresh picked asparagus so mm. like those three things together just my one of my favorite meals of the entire year yeah well i, I gotta share my like pride and joy i'm not yes. a chef but i love cooking i would say and you're not you giving yourself enough carbonara? credit you're not giving yourself enough credit because you're very very at least the the images that you post it looks so good whenever you post something like Dang, i Natalie. like a good garnish yeah yeah no but so i made this this morel i call it like a primavera carbonara last year so carbonara is like a pasta. It feels like it's creamy, but it's really just from Parmesan cheese, pasta water, and eggs. So there's no actual cream in it. But delicious, you know, kind of classic Italian pasta. But I did morel mushrooms, peas, uh, cured meat. You can do bacon. I did pancetta. What else? A little bit of lemon zest on there. But I'm not kidding. It, I mean, it took like, and my mom was sous chef. She helped a lot. It took probably an hour and a half to make. But it was like springtime 
deliciousness in a bowl. You got the peas, a little lemon zest, and the morels were just like the star of the show. And for me, I'm not quite so qualified as you. I usually get about a dozen or so morels in an outing. So for me, it was a way to like make them go a lot farther or share them with my whole family. I mixed in some white mushrooms just because, but that was amazing. And I just made uh, most recently some savory crepes with like thyme and rosemary right into the crepe, morel mushrooms, little little cheese, little gruyere. It was yummy. Yeah, that's and a lot of butter in both of these. So I think if we, this is our first show together, Natalie. I think. Our, our, our Cook goal. Off. Oh, no, you're going a different direction. Oh, I was going to, we can go any direction we want. It's our show. We can <laughs> yes, do whatever we want, it. unless Brandon says otherwise. Brandon, you're not going to say otherwise. You guys can do whatever you want. Yeah, see, okay. <laughs> I, I just feel like there's so much knowledge that you have in, in uh, the outdoor world, and I think I have some in different areas. Hopefully, that Got a lot. you call me out if I'm wrong. I'll call you out if I think wrong. But like, I don't have in my, with, with the young family, my wife, She's awesome at these recipes and things like that, but like I'm a hunter gatherer, but I don't do nearly as much with the food preparation mm-hmm. side of it as I would love to. Like your recipe sounds great. Mine's butter and saute and butter. butter. Which in this case you mm-hmm. can't. But like you you can put all that time into it. So there's so much that people can learn from uh, both of our lifestyles, both outdoor lifestyles. We both are busy in the outdoors, enjoying it to the fullest year round. And I think that is hopefully going to be our goal with this, with this podcast sure. is to keep things uh, pertinent to the season that we're in right now. Yeah. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll have guests on the show from time to time. Uh, we'll talk about topics that we care about deeply and hopefully we can educate and entertain. We That's just, the plan. Yeah. yeah. I think we're going to pull it off. Brandon, you think we can pull it off? I know you can pull it off. <laughs> awesome. okay. we, do you so, ha- We should probably wrap it up here and leave it for the day. Um, But yeah, we've got, as you said, a lot more to talk about. And we want to encourage everyone listening at home, too. We want to get you involved in the show. Do we? Should we do a couple of the Instagram questions? I was just going to say, you've got questions already. I'm I'm changing my mind. So we actually uh, put on our Instagram, uh, it's a Do North Outdoors Instagram, asking for some fan questions for today's show. And this, you know, we'll we'll go through a couple of them now, but definitely follow the account on Instagram and you can send DMs or or, uh, ask questions in the comments, even just topics that you want us to cover. We, we definitely want this to be a show that listeners learn and get, you know, uh, information about things that you want to hear about. So what were there ones that jumped out to you? Um, Should I make background music while you tap dance, Brandon? Let's see. So one that I think was kind of funny, I'm going to paraphrase, but someone was asking why fishermen are so secretive about <laughs> spots. And I think it's kind of self-explanatory. You think they're bad. Morel mushroom hunters are I'm bad. I'm sure, yeah. They are the worst. You will not get any morel mushroom hunter to give up their spot. I wouldn't Minnesota even tell my nice, best friend. Yes, yeah. exactly. Minnesota <laughs> nice goes out the window. When, <laughs> yes. I'm always yeah. kind of like, I, when I'm at the you know boat launch, and I usually am fishing out of a kayak or whatever, but when I'm there, I'll tell people exactly yeah, what Dennis, I did and where I did. This, I'm like, I don't know. If, Dennis Sieb, I believe, is yeah. who says, why do so many fishermen act like they're in the witness protection program <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> when you try to visit with them? I don't care about your secret spot. <laughs> 
It's most likely not a secret anyways. <laughs> Part of the outdoor experience is to share it with others. That is what I believe. Anyways. It is kind of true. I got to say, it's like when you post a picture on, you know, social media or whatever, and there's a tree in the background and people are like, oh, that's the secret spot. And it's like, well, if you know the tree, yeah. well, you already know the spot. Yeah, we so film with a lot really- of different people around the country. And that's one thing that I've noticed as well. You know, don't don't show that barn or only point the yeah. camera this way or whatever it might be. And it's like, I don't want to give away the spot. And I always sit, you know, try to respect that. But I do sometimes say, you know, the only person that knows about that goofy looking tree is somebody that already knows about this exactly. spot. Um, but, you know, there's something to be said about the work that somebody might go through to find out how to be successful. And they might feel that if it's exploited... They won't be able to come back to it again. Um, so that's why the secretive part comes into play so often. We I, do always want to be good stewards of yeah. the environment. And with, you know, I, I think morels, it's maybe a, a little bit different that I think you can kind of take everything. I don't How do you feel? Do you feel like you should leave morels behind for other people? Or do you think you, you take what you see? <laughs> there's not because one you're person, only going to last a couple There's not one days. person listening right now that's saying, I'm going to leave a yeah. few behind. Yeah. <laughs> But you always, we want to leave no trace, generally speaking, in the outdoors. We want in to make this, sure that whether it's... In the it's, case of morels, they're going to shrivel up exactly. and die on their own if nobody picks them. And if you don't pick them, somebody else will. So that's why they get harvested. And that's almost 100% of the time. Yep. They're not going to last more than a few days above ground. And yeah. So, but I will say going back to the walleye fishing question or the fishing question in general, you know, as from my perspective as a fishing guide, you know, I've taken a lot of people fishing in the last 20 some years. And sometimes I go to there the next night and there they are with their buddies. And you know, that's the reality of it. Um, I find the challenge in, in, I find my joy in the outdoors in learning and then figuring it out. And so I take that as more of a challenge that, all right, I have to go find more. I always have to keep learning. I always have to keep finding the next thing because once I teach or show somebody, there's a chance that it might not be there the next time that I come around. And so it's it's easy to understand why somebody doesn't want to share it. But what I think is funny, Natalie, you've probably seen this a lot. When people, they're so excited to show you their fish. Uh-huh. They're so excited. But yet they take the coloring, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. like they color out the background so nobody else can see. I don't know how to do see. that. I don't yeah. know how to do that either, but it bugs me. It's like, don't show it then. <laughs> yeah. You know, like you want to show everybody your catch so bad, but you want to hide it at the same time. Yeah. It's, you know, it's just... I've been wanting to do, I want to catch like a really, well, I do a, a quite frequently a really small fish, but I want to share a picture of that on Instagram with a blurred out background. <laughs> I mean, do it's it. funny, right? Do it. <laughs> yes, exactly. I'll like it. I'll Some of the it. one pound bass yeah. I've been catching for the last week, blur out that background. Yeah. <laughs> Not getting my spot. Well, fishing season just started here as yes. well. And that's a whole nother topic, but I think we could leave people with uh, a little nugget in that. Uh, the walleye fishing in the Midwest is phenomenal right now. If your opening day was not great, don't worry. The best walleye fishing of the entire year is coming. The last couple weeks in May, the water's cool. The fish are up shallow. The spawn is over. They're now going to be eating um, aggressively to pack back on that pounds from the from the spawn. So the best walleye fishing of the season is coming up right now. Your eyes are lighting up I know, and I will say this all the time on the show, there's so much to do right now. Mm -hmm. If you're not out there doing it, you're missing out. Don't miss miss these chances. Yes. Very good reminder. Soon as the podcast's over, 
shut off whatever listening device and, and step outside. Yeah, I, I'm going to. I might wait until the morning, but Brandon's in the next 24 hours. Yeah. Brandon, how many did you find this morning? <laughs> I found about a dozen this morning. And then I'm going to go right after this, like right after I leave, because I know it's going to rain by like 6 yeah, p.m. tonight. True. So yeah. I've got like a limited window to get in there. Yeah. And then after it rains, even better. Lot. So I'm going to go out tomorrow afternoon because it had rained. You can rained sleep when you're before. dead, man. You should just bring a flashlight. I can sleep go in a on. week when season's done. This is this is the time to be up and outside. That's right. That's right. Cool. Well, I think this is a good place to end it. Again, yeah. we want to say thanks to everyone listening at home. First episode, Do North Outdoors podcast hey, well is done. in the books. Yeah. I really sounded like a know-it-all jerk, and I don't mean to do that. I'm sorry. I'm not you informed be like that us all. Week. No, right. I, I think you did great. You did great. Everyone telling me did great. You um, did great. But, <laughs> but yeah, definitely uh, make sure to subscribe to the podcast as well. We're going to be coming out with a lot more fun episodes very soon, all sorts of topics. Uh, and yeah, follow us on Instagram. Ask us your questions there. And I think that's it. Anything else you want to add, Travis? Well, I would close every TV show with a reminder to introduce someone to the great outdoors. And I think that is true every single day of the year. doesn't matter if it's your kids or somebody else's. Take the time to bring somebody else out there. Because, Natalie, you didn't get to hunt or fish growing up mm-hmm. because nobody took you fishing. I got to hunt and fish growing up because somebody took me and they took the time. And I think it's just important that we, uh, we don't say that without meaning it. You know? Very true. You don't know what you might open up into somebody's life by showing them an appreciation for the wild world. So bring them Kid, along. fellow adult, yep. coworker, you name it. You name it. And until next time, remember to keep your compass set, due north, and cook your morels in butter. That's all. See you next time. <laughs> <laughs>